Thank you, David, for uh, leading us in this song. Not very old as I would like to think it, but uh, I remember David when he was much younger, and it's uh, quite a blessing to see him standing up and leading the congregation in song. We're continuing in the book of James, and uh, we're in the middle of uh, perhaps what you might say a not very happy passage, but that's the passage we're in, so we're going to take it anyways. Uh, It started, we're in uh, James chapter 4, and uh, if you remember from last time, uh, it started with really these alarming words when you think about them. Let me find the place first. Going to kind of not quite follow my notes, so as far as uh, the first reading that may be there, I'll just read the verses. But uh, James chapter 4 starts with uh, the words, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So, where do wars and fights? And it's really such a sad thought to think, here is the church of God where uh, we're supposed to have love. Right? That was Jesus' new commandment to us as Christians which, of course, is consistent with the scriptures. But he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So here we are, we're believers, we're the church. We're supposed to have love for one another, and there's fights, and there's wars. And uh, this is not a reflection on this particular congregation at this particular time. You know, I'd like to think there's not a lot of fights and wars going on in our midst, but it's, it's such a prevalent thing in the church of God that it can be referred to in this general letter. This is James. He's not even writing to a particular church at a particular time. Uh, it's really a very general uh, statement, a very general letter written to the church uh, probably five or ten years after the church was born. And uh, so we, we want to take it seriously, even if it may not be a problem for us at this moment, yet it is a general concern for the church, very possible for wars and fights to come in our midst. And so we want to think about that a little bit and think of the exhortation that James has for us regarding uh, these fights and wars that at least threaten us. Maybe they don't happen right now, but who knows, next week, next year. Ten years from now, this is a very possible scenario for a church to be in. Last time, we talked about the problem of selfish desires or worldly desires, and that's often the cause of fighting in the church. Today, we'll be talking about a different subject, and that's we have in verse 11. So, James 4, chapter 11 and 12. So, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. That's all we're technically covering today. Just two verses, but of course we'll have many other verses in the scripture that refer to this same principle. But uh, a cheap concern, verses 11 and 12, James chapter 4, Do not speak evil of one another brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And so the the form of evil here 
that causes division in the church is speaking evil of and judging in an evil way your brother. And I'd like to start with an illustration. So say we have a brother, Brother Smith. Brother Smith. And any resemblance to people present in this room is completely coincidental. But uh, Brother Smith uh, lost his job some time ago. And uh, he's looking for a job. And uh, he's in such a destitute state that uh, the church has stepped in and been helping him out a little bit, giving him a little bit of money. The deacons talked about it. They felt Brother Smith has been a faithful brother and he's looking faithfully for a job. And so we should help him out in this situation. Uh, as he's looking diligently for a job. And, uh, you know, one of the deacons will say, uh, Brother Charles, you know, uh, notices that uh, Brother Smith is posting things on Facebook. We have the Facebook picture. And, uh, you know, quite frequently he is posting things on Facebook. Now, as it happens to be, if you look at the post, they're not bad posts. You know, he's, he's saying things that are encouraging to the saints. He's, uh, you know, maybe witnessing to his friends. But, uh, you know, Brother Smith is, uh, sorry, Brother Charles is, is, you know, unhappy with the fact that, hey, we're providing monetary assistance to this brother. He should be looking for a job. And here he is on Facebook. And uh, in the next Dickens meeting, Brother Charles you know, comes up to the other deacons, you know what, guys? You know, I, I happen to have a Facebook account myself. <laughs> and, uh, boy, you know, Brother Smith is posting stuff left and right. He's spending all his time posting stuff on Facebook instead of looking for work. And, you know, the Bible says, if you do not work, you shall not eat. So, you know, I vote we stop supporting Brother Smith. <clears throat> and, uh, what we have here is a case of slander. Slander. Slander is defined as this. Number one, uh, it's a false accusation against somebody. False accusation. Now, it is true that Brother Smith has been posting things on Facebook, but he could be still looking for a job faithfully. Right? It's not easy to look for a job. I don't know how many of you have been in that place where you had to look for work. And, uh, you know, when I started looking for work, after I graduated from school. Eventually you graduate and you have to look for a job, all of you students. Uh, you know, I, I made a goal for myself. I'll look for a job for eight hours a day. Eight hours a day I'll be doing whatever I have to do. Send, you know, resumes, you know, go to interviews. I found it was really hard to eight, spend eight hours a day looking for a job. Eventually I had to drop my goal to four hours a day. And that was still challenging. To spend four hours a day looking for a job is not easy. And so, brother... Brother Smith could be faithfully looking for a job, you know, as much as any of us can, and still, you know, try to spend the rest of his time in a profitable manner, trying to encourage the saints and witness to unbelievers. You know, he's not, he, 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 he may not be a slacker at all. But the way it was presented by Brother Charles suggests that Brother Smith is a slacker. So untrue, false. Uh, it's usually behind their back. So we're defining slander, evil speaking, of other believers, um, it's usually behind their back. Brother Smith, as you notice, is not in the deacon's meeting and he has no opportunity to defend himself and to say, you know, brothers, I, I'm sorry that this is what you think of me, but here's the truth. I'm looking very hard for work 
And, you know, here's all the resumes I sent out. Here's all the companies that responded. Here's the interviews I've had. I'm looking for work. And, uh, and uh, third uh, definition of, uh, of slander is it is with the intent of causing harm. Brother Smith, sorry, Brother Charles, I'm going to get them confused, came into the meeting really with an evil desire toward Brother Smith, wanting him to not get funds anymore from the church. There was Nothing good was coming to Brother Smith out of this. He wasn't trying in any way to encourage him or help him. There was no love in it. <clears throat> this is a serious offense. Now we say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hit me, hurt me. Words will never hurt me. Is that true? Is it true that words will never hurt us? It's been said rather that the pen is mightier than the sword. Words can do a lot of damage. In this particular case, Brother Smith's reputation has been destroyed, at least in the minds of the other deacons that are sitting and listening to the deacons' meeting. By the way, we don't talk like that during the deacons' meeting. Don't worry at all. <laughs> Just trying to bring a possible you know, illustration. Um, you know, if they follow, which very possibly they would in this light, the advice proposed by, uh, by Brother Charles, they would discontinue their help to Brother Smith. Brother Smith, Smith will get very discouraged by this. You're really going to hurt him. And uh, who knows, may leave the church, may take people with him. You could be causing a church split with this kind of words. So, very, very serious uh, the Bible, by the way, says you shall not bear false witness of your neighbor. And often we just interpret it to saying, well, you should not lie. Well, that's true, you should not lie. But it specifically talks about smearing somebody's reputation. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Serious charge. Um, when you do that, it says you're you are doing the work of the devil. The word devil literally translates into slanderer, a false accuser. And he is called in the scripture, the accuser of the brethren. When you accuse a brother without having solid ground behind it, behind their back with false intent, or intent not, not to really help them out, you are doing the work of the devil. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4, 30, that when you do it, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's not hard to think why, uh, since the Holy Spirit is really here to glorify Christ, and the testimony of Christ is connected to the church, and the testimony of Christ is the church is, the, is supposed to be by love to one another. And you've just destroyed the love between brethren in the church. Not surprising, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, we want to think a little bit about uh, the other side of it, or the other part of the word. So, we're not supposed to speak evil of one another. We also, it says we're not supposed to judge one another. And clearly, in this case, a judgment has been passed, right? Brother Charles made this judgment of Brother Smith because he was seeing this Facebook post. And James tells us that we ought not to judge. And so, we want to stop and think about it. And, you know, the question is to judge or not to judge. To judge or not to judge. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. Judge not 
that you be not judged. So Jesus says not to judge. Now, we're going to try to think about this very carefully. As we will see, there are cases in the scripture where we are told to exercise judgment. We're not supposed to be like, I guess it's an ostrich. You know, when there's trouble around, the ostrich just sticks its head in the ground. You know, not a very smart thing to do. We're also not to do it. You know, if there's sin, if there's trouble going around, we're not told to stick our head in the ground, and we'll get to it. So what is it that Jesus meant when he said, judge not, that you be not judged? So if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 7, there's a a number of passages in the Bible that talk about judgment, and we're going to spend a good next 20 minutes or so talking about it, so we'll be looking at a few passages. So feel free to follow along. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, is where that verse is found, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye, Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So a couple of things we can note from this passage. Uh, First of all, in this uh, context, judgment is not completely forbidden, right? He says, judge not if you don't want to be judged. And then he says, when you're not going to want to be judged. But later at the end, he does talk about the possibility of helping your brother. Right? So, you know, there is not a complete forbidding of judging, but a, a particular time and way in which you ought not to judge. And that time and way is when you have a bigger problem than the brother you're judging. Right? Why do you say to your brother, you know, let me help you with that speck in your eye? Right? But there's this big beam that's sticking out of my eye. Right? There's a problem here. Don't judge others when you really have bigger issues. And uh, let me suggest what this bigger issue might be. This bigger issue might be a lack of love to the brother you're trying to help. Right? I mean, maybe your brother is spending too much time on Facebook. I mean, it's a possibility. But uh, you have a much more serious problem because Jesus told you that you're supposed to love your brother and you do not love your brother. That's a direct disobedience to a commandment by the Lord Jesus. You have a beam in your eye. Your brother may have a speck. Be careful not to judge him. But, as we said, there's a possibility if there is no beam in your eye, if you're doing it out of love, there could be a possibility that you could help your brother. Now let me look at three cases then but the Bible does instruct us to exercise judgment. Okay? Now, try to remember that really the overall arching theme is love, right? There ought to be love in the church. And the worst thing is when judgment in some way is destroying the love in the church. And we're looking at cases where judgment is helping the love in the church. So the first passage we have is in Matthew 18, And I'm addressing these consecutively as they appear in the scriptures, not in any other particular order. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 
Moreover, if your brother's, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Okay. So again, I'm trying to think of illustrations here. Help us up, maybe wake us up a little bit. So uh, let's say that uh, after the message, I hang around a little bit with the saints. And uh, then it's time for me to go. I gather my family, we walk out the door, and I hear, you know, some screeching sound and a boom. And I round the corner, and that's my car over there. And uh, there go, goes Brother Charles, you know, driving down. Again, no, you know, any resemblance to a person's here is completely coincidental. You know, driving down the driveway a little bit faster than he ought to be driving. And, you know, I'm looking at my car, and I'm looking at, you know, the back of Brother Charles' car as he's driving away, and I'm thinking something happened. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's okay to be a little bit thick-skinned as a Christian, right? I mean, we don't want to, you know, get offended at every little thing that a brother or sister might do. Okay, we'd be spending all our time trying to, you know, repair grievances. You know, be a little bit thick-skinned. But my thick skin was just penetrated. By, uh, by that incident. And, uh, you know, I don't feel quite right about the situation. And in fact, next time I see Brother Charles, you know, I may struggle a little bit loving him like a brother, like I ought to love Brother Charles. And uh, that's when the scripture says, that's what it refers to, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him the fault between you two. Now, the temptation is always to, you know, call a bunch of other people and say, look what just happened to my car. And, you know, I saw Brother Charles just drive away. That would be evil speaking of Brother Charles. But the scripture says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Brother Charles, do you have a few minutes? I'd like to stop over and talk if you have some time. And uh, it's an opportunity to bring it up. You know, Brother Charles, you know, I don't know what happened, but this is what I saw. And uh, the goal is restoration, right? It says, if your brother hears you, right? If he hears you, you have gained your brother. And hopefully, Brother Charles will say, you know what? No, you're absolutely right. You know, I hit your car and I just was so scared, so convicted. I did the wrong thing. I just drove away. And I'm really sorry I did that. Please forgive me. Here's my, you know, insurance you know, information, you know, please, you know, let them know and, you know, they'll take care of it, right? I mean, they'll, they'll fix the situation right there. Now, it could be that, you know, there may be some other things in the way. Maybe Brother Charles, you know, doesn't have, you know, insurance and, uh, you know, who knows, maybe financially he has difficulties, but at least he can apologize and try to work it out and do the best he can and promise he'll help pay for it when he gets some money one day. So, I mean, there's ways of repairing the situation, and that's ideally how you want Father Charles to respond. But there was no evil speaking. You went to him and you dealt with it personally, a way to try to minimize any potential damage, restore the fellowship, the love 
that should be between you as brothers. Now, let me try to think of another example. Uh, let's say, uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll just go ahead and own it up. I have four kids. And, uh, you know, some of them are often in Sunday schools or in the nursery. And I appreciate all you guys that watch them. But as often, uh, you know, whether I'm preaching or not, I just run to conversation. I forget who knows what. After the message, I delay, and I don't go and get my children right away. And you're there as a nursery worker, and you're looking at your watch, and like, you know, there's Noad's kid. Why doesn't Noad come and get him? Everybody else is fellowshipping. I'm stuck here in the nursery. And by the way, you know, I apologize for all the time I've done it to you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, feel free to bring my son out here and say, here's your son. <laughs> you know, thanks for letting me watch him for the last hour. But... Uh, you know, let's say you come to me and you've been bothered by it because it's been happening repeatedly. And you come to me and you say, you know, and it's been bothering you and it's hurting your fellowship with me because I do it to you all the time. And you come to me and you, you say, Father Noah, I, I have something I want to talk to you about. You know, you keep, you know, being late to pick up your kids and I'm the one missing out on fellowship and other things. And, uh, you know, I would never do that, but let's say, you know, I don't accept what you say. I'm like, you know, that's your responsibility, you know, whatever, however long you need to be there, you stay there and watch my kid. Right? I mean, that would be me not hearing you, you know, you're bring, you didn't tell anybody else about it, you just came to me, you want to resolve the issue, but I do not hear you. I'm not responding well to the correction. And uh, that's when it says to take it to the next step. Right? It says, but if you will not hear, again, you don't go and start telling people about it. That would be evil speaking of me. So it says, you go and you take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now let's think about why you're doing this. Why are you bringing one or two more with you? It's so that when somebody else finds out what's happening, it's in my company, and I have an opportunity to defend myself. So they get to hear both sides of the story. There's never a situation when people hear about what you think about me without me being there and having an opportunity to defend myself and saying, well, let me share my side of the story. And uh, <clears throat> the reason it's just one or two is let's contain it as much as possible. Hopefully, these one or two people will help one of us you know, make sense out of the situation and reconcile us. And then nobody else needs to know, okay? But, uh, I mean, that's the hope. Again, the drive is at reconciliation. Don't evil speak of people. And uh, let's try to get it resolved. And then finally, if I still refuse to hear, I mean, they come and speak to me. Then uh, that's when other people will find out the church gets involved. And, and the amazing thing is, if I completely refuse to make things right, it actually says to put me out of the church. Because the unity of the church is so important. The love between brethren is so precious to the Lord that if there's this, you know, irreconcilable differences, put the person out. I want my church to be whole. Okay. So that's one reason to judge, to restore unity in the church. Again, the motive is love. The only time judging is, is brought in is when it, when it serves the purpose of love. Uh, next example we have 
is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll try to just go really quickly through the chapter. It's a short chapter. It says, First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. So here's the problem. There is a sexual immorality in the church practiced openly. A person is living in it. And it says, you know, it says that the church is fine with it. You are puffed up and have not rather mourned. You think that it is okay to have this situation going on in the church. Now, we'll get to it later. It's not just sexual immorality. There's a lot of other sins that are not acceptable to be practiced in the church. <clears throat> in fact, we'll go ahead and we'll just skip to it. Um, verse 10 says, Yet I did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is a, a fornicator or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So it's a whole list of sin. And the problem with this sin, uh, again, is, is a lack of love. When you're practicing any of these sins, you're not showing love to a person. You're somehow violating the principle of love. Now, we see here Paul's reaction to it. For I indeed, verse 3, for I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present concerning him who has done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. So first of all, we notice here that there is judgment practice. And Paul says, I have to judge in this case. And later on, at the later part of the passage, he really challenges the believers to exercise judgment in this case. And again, this is talking about a person who is not repentant. He is currently practicing this behavior. It's known. Everybody knows that this person is uh, you know, committing, committing adultery with... Uh, with his father's wife. And it seems kind of strange it's his father's wife. Likely it's the second wife of the father, and likely she's much younger than the father, and maybe the same age as this person who's practicing this immorality. But uh, the main thing is Paul says you have to judge in this situation. He, he then explains why you have to judge. Verse 6, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And the point is this, if you, you're not familiar with, with uh, leaven, if you're like me, what is leaven anyways? <laughs> you know, if you enjoy eating, you know, bread or, uh, you know, many other foods, uh, you, you take, I guess, the flour and the water and whatever else you mix together, you have to add a little bit of leaven into it, which is yeast, and the yeast kind of puffs it up and fills it up with air bubbles, and uh, that's one of the things that you know, makes it taste good. You know, you, we enjoy it having leaven. <clears throat> the problem here is that leaven is a picture of sin. And once you put a little bit of leaven into the lump, so into the dough, 
yeast, it's going to spread around everywhere. And that's the risk for the church. Is if you allow someone to practice a sin that would fit this kind of a list, and you don't do anything about it, it's going to spread and it's going to affect other people. And Jesus saved us from our sins so that we will live holy lives. The church is supposed to be the beautiful bride of Christ, with people living holy lives. And if you don't judge this situation where a person is practicing sin, you'll allow it to spread. The whole church will be practicing these different kinds of sins. And so you must step in and exercise (coughs) judgment. Uh, Now, we would notice here that it's not just for the good of the church, it's also for the good of the person, right? It says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And uh, related to that, we'll skip to the end, verse 12. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? And that's talking about people in the church versus people not in the church. But those who are outside, God judges. Now, what's the picture here? (coughs) The word of God condemns people. It says that people have sinned against God and they will have to answer to God. And in the day of judgment, they will be judged by God. Well, now you have this person who is in the church. And he says, well, I believe in the Lord Jesus. I enjoy being here among you guys. This is very pleasant to me. I feel I'm one of you. And therefore, I have all these blessings that God describes, including salvation for my sin. But at the same time, he is practicing sin. For you to allow him to continue to come to church and feel that everything that's being preached about the forgiveness of God and the love of God applies to him, you are doing him a disservice. He needs to know that he is not right with God. And by putting him out of the church, you're basically saying, you know, we can't let you fellowship among us. You are doing things contrary to what God says to do openly, and this is just... This means that you are not right with God. You need to change. So you're really, you're not just doing the church a favor, you're doing this person a favor by putting him out of the church. And again, judgment must be guided by love. There must be a love, must be the motive behind judgment for it to be the kind of judgment that God wants to practice. Okay, very quick. The last one uh, passage we have is Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> So another right turn in your Bible. Just one verse this time. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So here's a a brother, and it says that he's been overtaken by a trespass. Now, that trespass is a fancy word for sin. A person has fallen into sin. Now, the Bible says that we all stumble in many things or many ways. We all stumble in sin. But somehow this person, you know, he fell and he can't get up. This person is just really staggering. Somehow he's stuck in this sin in his life. And uh, the Bible... I don't know if in the Bible, but people would say this, there's no more miserable person than a believer or a Christian who is out of fellowship with his Lord. This person 
is miserable. In being trapped in this sin that he is in. Now, if I don't practice judgment, you know, and I, you know, I, I'm like this uh, ostrich that sticks its head, you know, in the ground, I'm not going to notice there's anything wrong with this brother. I'm not going to do anything to help him. But this brother could use some help. Let me give you an illustration. I was, uh, I have an aquarium in my house. <clears throat> and I'm really proud of my aquarium. I uh, got it a couple of years ago as a birthday present for my daughter. But it's really me that gets most of the enjoyment out of it. You know, I enjoyed selecting fish and getting plants. And uh, I have this, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, a piece that kind of adds, adds cosmetically a little bit. It kind of looks like some sort of a, uh, I don't know what you call it. Uh, sorry? Coral. looks like coral. Fancy, it's fake. It's not real. You need to have salt water, I think, to have those kind of corals, which I don't. But, you know, I thought it looked pretty, so I got it. And uh, it has a hole in it that may not be easy to see in that picture. And uh, one of my goldfish, so my goldfish are a good size by now. They started small, they get bigger. And uh, a couple of days ago, I went in there, and my goldfish was inside the hole. Now, I'm not saying he, he got into this coral. He was literally in the opening of the coral. And he was just sitting there and kind of looking sad, you know, and kind of <laughs> trying, trying to breathe, you know, a face only a mother could love. <laughs> but, you know, I cared about this goldfish. And he was, you know, he seemed to be in real trouble. And so I, you know, I picked up that coral, big coral piece, and, you know, he was stuck in that hole. I could take it out of the water. He was stuck in that hole. And, you know, I took my finger and I pushed a little bit. He was stuck. You know, I couldn't just easily push him out of that hole. And, and I was kind of in a quandary. What am I going to do about this fish? I mean, if I, if I push him hard enough, I could really hurt this fish. If I don't push that fish, he's going to die. So I had to apply force, but believe me, it was gentle. You know, it was as gentle as I possibly could apply. You may see it has, he has a little bit of scars on him uh, from the experience. I mean, that's, that was a, he was really in trouble. And, and, and that's, you know, that's the picture here to some extent, you know, with a believer. You know, this is a genuine Christian. He's fallen into sin. He's hurting. What are you going to do? You know, are you going to help? the believer, it may require applying force, meaning, you know, really encouraging him, really getting, uh, trying to get together with him. Um, but it better be gentle. Okay, I mean, that's what it says here. You who are spiritual, this is not for everybody. And uh, it has to be done gently or, or you know, you lost the brother. He's not going to want to hang out with you, fellowship with you, even stay in the church. You know, if you're not being gentle with him. You didn't help him at all. You could do more damage uh, to the person. So, must be gentle. Again, all these judgments must be done in love. Or, or, you know, just stick with do not judge and you'll be doing better. If, if you can't practice this in love, if it's not being done to preserve fellowship in the church, if it's not being done for the purity of the church, it's not being done to help the brother, don't do it. You know, you're better off just do not judge. Okay, back to James. I'm going to finish up the passage now. 
Again, we're in James chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12. We went halfway through verse 11. Then it continues and it, he says, but if you, he says, um, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Okay. Now, I was talking with a brother the other way. James has a fresh way of bringing things to you. <laughs> you know, he, he kind of seems to sometimes just bring it in a way you're not expecting. Wait a second. I thought I was just speaking evil of my brother and judging my brother. You know, why, why are you saying I'm speaking evil of the law and judging the law? Well, because the royal law says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're not loving your neighbor. You're disobeying the law. When you're disobeying the law, you're judging the law and speaking evil of the law. It's that simple. <clears throat> then it uh, continues to say, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Meaning, if you take the position that I don't really have to do this, I don't really have to love my brother. You know, if my brother is doing something, I can judge him. I can tell people evil things about him. I can do it. The law, this law does not apply to me. But it says you just did. You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. You just changed position. You decided the law has nothing to say to you. You will decide which law to keep and which law not to keep. And lest you get comfortable with that situation, James continues and says, there is one law giver who is able to save and to destroy. You're just face to face with God at that point. This is God's law. You're coming to God and saying, your law does not apply to me. You think twice about that. Again, the goal is to preserve the love in the church and people judging and speaking evil of one another. That's how serious it is. You are standing face to face with God when you're doing that. Okay, finally, and uh, we'll close with this thought. When we think about the seriousness of speaking evil, uh, James says this in uh, verse 1, sorry, chapter 1, James chapter 1, and verse 25. It says, but he, James 1, 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Do you want to be blessed this morning? <laughs> or this week? <laughs> this is the path of blessing. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. It's being under the law of God. If you take yourself from being under the law of God, God gave us his law to bless us. By following his law, we are blessed. And if I say the law of God does not apply to me, I don't have to do it, you just eliminated the one path you have to bless. Now it says here, it calls it the perfect law of liberty. I was thinking about that a little bit, the law of liberty. What is the law of liberty? And, uh, I mean, it goes back to the same thing, love, right? I mean, someone asked Jesus, you know, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. 
and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to get away from that. <clears throat> and uh, I was thinking also of Romans 13. It says, uh, Oh, no man anything except to love one another. Back to love. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. You want to fulfill the law? You only need to do one thing, love. All you got to do. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, all the law is contained in that one word, love. Love does no harm to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. The law of liberty, you know, there's no limit to how much love you can show people. You want to bake them cookies? Take them. You know, call them, ask them how they're doing. I mean, you can't love someone too much, okay? You're never going to reach the point where, you know, you broke the law because you loved somebody so much. I mean, it's the perfect law of liberty. Meditate on it all day long. <coughs> Never, you never break the law that way. And uh, then finally, thinking again of, of the blessings of it, Jesus said this in uh, Luke 11. <clears throat> so, so first I should say this. A woman says to Jesus, <clears throat> Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. And uh, what she's really saying is, blessed is Mary, right? Mary, that's the womb that bore Jesus. The breast that nursed him, that's Mary. And uh, I, I know I've done a disservice to this woman in the past. Because Jesus basically corrects her in what he says next. <clears throat> but what she says is true when you think about it. Right? Is Mary blessed? Is it a blessing for her to have had Jesus as her son? I mean, I would think she's blessed. The scripture says she's blessed, right? Uh, I think it was uh, Elizabeth, under influence of the Holy Spirit, says uh, that you are blessed among women, right? Was it, was it uh, Elizabeth or was it the angel? I forget. But it's in the Bible. <laughs> so she's blessed. You know, and, and she says this herself in the Magnificat, or whatever you pronounce it, she gives praise. And she says, from now, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. I mean, she's been greatly blessed in getting to be the mother of Jesus. But this is what Jesus said in an answer. He says, more than that, meaning more blessed, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And uh, if you think about what we said, what is the word of God? Well, the word of God is love. Right? Love one another, love your brother and sister in the Lord. Jesus says, if you love, if you obey the word of God, you will be more blessed than Mary was. And if you think about how much she was blessed, she would say, from henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. That's a lot of blessing he's talking about. You know, there's no limit to how much you can be blessed by loving. You cannot love too much. 
There is no limit, or you could say the sky is the limit to how much you can be blessed by loving others. Let's pray. Father, uh, I confess, uh, first of all, that uh, you are good, and uh, you do good as we were, were singing about your faithfulness, and uh, we recognize it is your desire that love will be the mark of the church, and uh, you uh, say in your word that we love you because you loved us, and you also said that uh, if we love you, we should also love one another. Help us, Lord, uh, never to judge our brother or sister in a negative way, never to speak evil of them, never to do the work of the devil, which is to destroy the testimony of Christ in this world. Help us be, Lord, the loving church that you want us to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.